And a very good afternoon, good morning, good evening to wherever you may be around the world right now. A little bit of a different show, uh, because we've got Nikki Lee with uh, Ready for Love Radio invading our space. Nikki, how are you? George, I'm taking over. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet, not yet, not yet. I want to welcome our guests here on the, the Ready for Love Radio uh, portion of the rendezvous show and uh, i'd like to say first of all a very good morning to tova in california good morning to you young lady good morning uh, how are things in california this morning nice bright and breezy <laughs> i hope yes very bright sunny lots of sunshine and um altogether delightful oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay so tova now tell us a little bit about your background please Well, I am a sex educator, sex counselor. Um, I have a a degree, an undergraduate degree from Ohio University in psychology. Um, I have a master's from Antioch University based in Ohio, USA. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I have a, a PhD in human sexuality from the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. Okay. Plus, I have about 40 years experience. Oh, wow. Okay. Gee whiz. Uh, besides that, <laughs> what other hidden talents do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a professional belly dancer for 15 years. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> Gee whiz. <laughs> oh, all right. So I'm I'm really excited to hear about what you're going to be discussing about uh, uh, sexual surrogates. Um, I gave Nikki my well, version, well, and uh, well, and she's also got got eight books published, seven, seven or eight. How many is it, Toba? Eight or so, eight up on Amazon. That's right, hmm. including one about surrogacy. So, uh, okay, yes, that, that's 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 a a big print book that was. Um, my modified dissertation for my PhD, um, Surrogates Talk About Love and Life, available on Amazon. Okay, interesting. All right, well, we'll get around to all those just now. And let me say hi to Paul this morning. And Paul, uh, you are from where in the USA? I live in Norton, Massachusetts, on the East Coast. Oh, okay. Gee whiz. So we go from West Coast to East Coast. And, uh, Paul, your qualifications uh, with regard to the topic that we're going to be chatting about? Well, I'm a sex and intimacy coach uh, for the past 25-plus years. I am largely Mm self-taught. My story is a bit different. I actually, when I hit puberty and discovered the opposite sex, I wanted to learn everything I could about the opposite sex. So at the age of 16, I'm studying anatomy and physiology of the female and the Kama Sutra. Oh, wow. So so at the point at age 18, I'm giving my friend's older sisters advice on their G-spots, that it's not a myth, and this is how you can find them, and this is what you can do with them, and so forth. Uh, I'm also a nationally certified massage therapist and ordained minister. Um, I'm... A lot of different things. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you keep yourself pretty busy, eh, Paul? We see clients who mainly come from a background of sexual abuse or trauma mm-hmm. or even repressed, repressed sexuality. 
Oh, wow. Okay, fantastic. All right, well, we'll talk about your institute a little bit later on as well. And, of course, uh, yeah, part of the furniture. Hi, Nikki, how are you this morning? <laughs> I am part of the furniture at this point, aren't I? <laughs> the sexy part of the furniture, George. <laughs> All right, Nikki, I'm going to hand over to you from here on. And uh, button every now and again. How's that? That you know that's that works, George. Well, and, and I'm really excited to have these two with me because I've I've had both of them on the show repeatedly. I think I think Paul's been on like five or six times with me, you know. And and I I joke that that I should have a degree with working with Tova because I've I've learned so much working with Tova. It just it's incredible. It's been a fantastic addition to the things I learned with Dr. Ava. I mean, I call her Dr. Tova. I really do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it just I I really I've learned so much from her, and I just I think the world of both of these people. So I'm I'm very happy to get to, to share them with the audience, with the listeners. And their their wealth of knowledge, you all, is just incredible. So I'm I'm hoping we can tap into even a part of that and share this information with you all. So I'm gonna kinda I'm gonna kinda jump back and forth between their, their different specialties and and I think we can we can kind of all share some of this information. So I, I want Tova and Paul, I want both of y'all to kinda jump in where you where you can. Let's start off Tova, I think um, when I mentioned surrogacy to George yesterday, he was he jumped immediately to surrogacy as far as a woman volunteering to to have a child for another couple. So let's mm-hmm. let's off the bat. What is a surrogate partner? Let's let's clear that up first thing. A surrogate partner is a man or a woman who has been trained to work with clients in a hands-on capacity in the field of mental health, specifically sex therapy. Um, Surrogates receive very specific training to be able to deal with psychological, emotional issues, and also uh, very knowledgeable about sexual issues and issues of sexual dysfunction. The surrogate works under the supervision of a licensed therapist And so the three, the surrogate, the client, and the uh, therapist work as a triad. We call it the triadic model. And the three, the um, therapist works the surrogate and supervises the work of the surrogate and separately, of course, with the client. So a surrogate is part of the psychological uh, landscape, and, and it really becomes the eyes and ears uh, for the therapist and provides invaluable in- feedback uh, for the therapeutic process. Okay, so they're going to actually work one-on-one, hands-on with the client to help them. How would you go on with that statement? Well, to help uh, to enhance their social and intimacy skills. And a lot of time, people tend to think, that surrogates, and the, the previous term, the prior term was sex surrogates, um, which is outdated and really not used, although that's the term that people recognize. Um, but a surrogate partners spend a lot of time working with clients on social issues. Uh, so sometimes people think, oh, surrogate partner, oh yeah, sex surrogate. Well, they must be holed up in a room somewhere having sex with people all day. And that's I've learned through my research very, very far from the truth um, that a surrogate's time 
in what we would term intimate physical relations with the client is maybe 6% of the entire process, which could be anywhere from four months to a year to two years and even beyond. Right. Well, and you know, that's, that's why when you told me the title for the book, it was so perfect because the, the title is Sex is the Least of It. And, and that's so true. It, well, and, and even in the, in the promo for the show, I put on there what is a sex surrogate because I knew that would resonate because people would immediately see that and they would recognize that, you know, and I wanted them to I wanted them to recognize that so we could draw them in to listen. So we clear things up. So so if you see that and you're like, that's not right. That's why I did it. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many misconceptions about the right. work of surrogate partners. Right. You know, and sex, sex in general is a very sensitive subject. It's a subject that many folks have difficulty talking about or uncomfortable talking about. And there can be a lot of shaming around uh, issues of sexuality uh, as well. Definitely. Well, and see, that's why I've had Paul on the show so many times, because he helps me talk to people that have, have issues around being repressed about sexuality and, and that sort of thing. So that, that leads right into Paul. <laughs> <So>. <coughs> well, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> See? It's beautiful how this all works together. All right. So now, speaking of Paul... Give us give us an idea, kind of the scope of the practice that you have, Paul, because you do all kinds of interesting things. Yeah, well, I I do everything from from sex coaching and counseling on um, teaching workshops to deepen intimacy between couples. Um, I teach workshops to build confidence in um, both male and female as far as what they know about their own bodies, what they are capable of feeling, and I, I teach them to know, you know, what their partners are capable of feeling and how how they can go about stimulating to a deeper level than they have before. Um, I also, as far as the, the private sessions go, a large majority of my clients over the years have been women who do come from that sexual abuse background who have never quite dealt with it completely like they 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 go to a counselor or something for a while and you know they they got some of it out emotionally but when you're not ready to deal with something you generally tuck it away and and what happens is you know it ends up coming out somewhere down the road in the future a lot of times it's with relationships it's with self-esteem self-image and then they end up finding me to to help them with, with these issues. Um, we also deal with repressed sexuality. Um, culture, society, religion, your parents, everything contributes to repressing who we naturally are. I mean, unless your parents are incredibly um, supportive and empowering with you to express who you are fully, generally they're, they're basing what they know on culture, society, and their parents, instilling it upon you, and you know, you take it from there. Um, but 60%, the statistics currently say 60% of women have never achieved a vaginal orgasm. It's been clitoral. Well, there's three deep stimulation points inside the pelvic cavity that will allow you to achieve orgasm. And the G-spot up until 10, about 10 years ago was thought of as a myth. You know, doctors finally put some money into the research and they, they have 
admitted, yes, it does exist. They actually call it the urethral sponge, but it's the G-spot. Female ejaculation, something else that only in the past year they're starting to say does exist. Well, through teachings of Eastern medicine, we've known that the ancient tantrics and Taoists and Hindus and Buddhists have known about it for 4,000 years. Why modern society is just getting around to it now, no idea. But So I, I help women to educate them what they are capable of feeling um, via sexual energy work and sexological body work. So this is hands-on as well. Help them empower them. Help heal them first, then to empower them to have a more freely expressed sexuality and a more empowering life through their sexuality. Awesome. Paul, can I just jump in here? Just a quick question. I knew it. <laughs> no? Okay. Yes, Why? Maybe Tova can answer this one as well. Why do people generally steer away from opening up about their sexual problem? Sexuality is, is really one of the most um, powerful areas of our entire uh, tapestry, the tapestry of who we are emotionally um, and psychologically and, and physically. Uh, and there's a great deal of, of misinformation. Very often parents are not really capable of uh, educating their children because they've had such bad backgrounds when it comes to inadequate sex education also. So it starts becoming a legacy, a legacy of misinformation handed down from one generation to another. Hmm. So you, you have a teenager who may not really, whether it's a male or a female, have no concept of really what menstruation is, not really understand you know, what it means to have an erection and an ejaculation. And there's a lot of shame around it. And as Paul said, uh, culture, our culture, is a, it's a very sex-negative culture. It's a very sex-shaming culture. With all the strides that we've made in terms of, you know, recognizing trans, uh, transsexual individuals and, of course, gay individuals, um, in, many, in many ways, we're still way far back, way, mm -hmm. way far back. Um, and, and religion and culture and just generations of, of ignorance play into people being um, confused and confusion may lead to fear fear can lead to anger and withdrawal oh, okay well Tova I tell you what you know in my youth days which was uh, over 50 years ago um, people you know my parents never taught me anything about uh, sexuality or sex or anything like that um, I right. am surprised that it still happens today Oh, yeah, it, it hasn't improved. It really hasn't. You know, well, and actually, I mean, thing, things I hear, it, it it seems like it's actually gotten worse in some cases. And, and actually, it's an interesting point that you bring out, Tova, that, you know, even even as much as you've got people fighting for, you know, like, like LGBT, you know, rights and, and all that sort of thing, the the basic information about sex still just isn't happening, you know. So it's it's weird that, the basic things that need to be happening just still aren't happening out there. Yeah, but Nikki, but, Nikki, uh -huh. let, me, let me, I mean, the internet is so full of sex. Yes, okay, a lot of pornography and whatnot else. But I mean, the internet is so full of sex that uh, I'm, I'm amazed that youngsters today 
um, still have a problem. Well, that, yeah, but that's so, much, actually, so much of what's out there is wrong, though. It's not it, accurate sex. Right. Right. And, and that's a huge part of the problem, too, is the Internet. Mm-hmm. Because we also have a problem in today's society where nobody actually goes out and interacts with each other anymore. They stay home True. and do everything yeah. via the computer. Yeah. So there is no experience going on. There's nothing experiential happening. They're reading what they think they can do, and, mm-hmm. and again, based on what website you're going to, a lot of it is misinformation. And porn being so easy to access, just being thrown in your face constantly when you are online, that's generally what they're getting. Okay. Yeah. And, and that right. doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Right. And, and, and George, I can tell you that um, when I uh, when I see clients and when I've seen clients over the last so many decades, um, there there is again this tremendous lack of information, confusion, um, and and it's um, and it's very profound, and it can take some folks a very long time uh, to work through, and mm-hmm. and that's why the the value of the surrogate partner to kind of for some folks, really lead them through the process um, of uh, helping them reduce their anxiety, uh, just provide basic information. And I think probably 50% of sex therapy is providing basic, accurate information. Right. And many of my, my male clients would say that, well, oh, well, yes, I, I understand sex. I, I have been reading up on sex. Sex, and I say, well, where's that been? And they will point to pornographic websites. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. Now, some what I call pornography light, I don't have a problem with. My problem is that people confuse what is sex entertainment, which is what pornography is, mm-hmm. with sex education, and that's the problem. Okay. Right. Okay. That makes so, a lot of sense. Well, and even basic anatomy. How many how many people don't understand basic uh, sexual anatomy? You know, they they have no clue where certain if you if you mention a certain part of, of genitalia, they have no clue where it is. Oh yeah. You know, like 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 men that say, "Well, I would stimulate her clitoris, but I can't see up in there." It's like, "No, no, no." <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, right. it's very simple basic things, but I mean, I I know and, and there's lots of people, and, and I have, I, you know, I talked to people about this before my coaching training and after, and they just, they assume that the issues they have are just normal and they have to live with it. They don't understand that there's help. And that's, that's one of the reasons I want to do today's show, to help people understand there are options, there are people trained that can help, that can provide the, the help that they need, you know, and that sort of thing. And I've got I've got several other shows coming up, you know, with with other specialties that to help people understand you don't have to be stuck in this rut. You don't have to have these sexual problems in your relationship. There are people that can help you with this, you know. So, you know, pe- people just say, you know, I'm I'm in a marriage. I only have sex once a month. You know, yeah, I've been married for years. Well, that's just that's normal. Okay, I want people to understand, and I do this in my show weekly. I want people to understand it's not normal. There is help. There are people that can do this. You know, I'm, I'm a coach. We're, we can help you with these issues. Mm-hmm. So that's the reasons for the show. 
Okay, so Tova, why would a therapist refer somebody to a surrogate? That's an excellent, excellent question. A, a therapist would make a referral to a surrogate if she was dealing with a client who had social issues that needed an approach different than just straight talking uh, in order to build their self-esteem. They would refer for in, a man or woman who had uh, issues of sexual dysfunction. It could be premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation. That's not on the women. I hope we understand. Um, I'm talking about men. Uh, instability of erections, uh, Peyronie's disease, um, so many issues. Issues of letting go. Uh, you know, the act of orgasm is very emblematic of the ability to let go. And, and for some individuals, whether out of uh, fear or, or misinformation, really have a very difficult time letting go. So it, that, that's a key issue uh, for women, anorexia, uh, of course, and learning how to be comfortable with their bodies and accept their bodies and feel at ease and at peace with the way their bodies look. Uh, because uh, if a woman's uncomfortable with her body, she may withdraw and choose not to engage in intimate relations. Um, the surrogacy individuals who have Asperger's syndrome, who are autistic, who need really intensive help with social skills so that they can go on and lead a, a productive life and have uh, be able to engage in social intercourse. Um, so many, many reasons. Also, individuals who have been abused uh, in their childhood um, and uh, just folks needing some real training on on effective sexual function. Awesome. This is this is just a fascinating topic. We're going to talk about. Tell us what you mean by sexual energy healing. We've all heard the song "Sexual Healing," but what do you mean by sexual energy healing? Okay, sexual energy. Um, and this is going to sound very new agey to some. It's going to sound very esoteric. But it, it's basically nature. Sexual energy is the most powerful force that we as humans carry within us, within ourselves, for healing, change, and transformation. It's the same energy that creates life, you know, gives birth to children, both male and female, because they're both a part of it. It's the same energy that created the universe, the plants, the trees, everything. That sexual energy we hold inside of us. And when this energy, it's incredibly creative energy as well. When this energy is um, stimulated, enhanced, developed, and nurtured, it can go a long way towards clean, helping heal um, blockages in your energy system, the energy that flows through our body. One of the, the sayings that <clears throat> the sayings that I learned in massage school many long years ago is incredibly true. The saying is, we hold our issues in our tissues. Now, as I said earlier, if we can't deal with things at a certain time, especially if they happen, say, like sexual abuse at a young age, we tend to just tuck it away somewhere because it's a, it's a self-defense mechanism. We can't handle it at the time, so we tuck it away. Well, through the use of sexual energy and 
building it up and building it up and then releasing it, it has the same type of effect as Drano going through pipes. It takes a lot of things out with it, and it brings things to the surface so they can be dealt with at a proper time. It can be dealt with by trained professionals in a safe, sacred, and nurturing manner. That's how I work. Now, these these teachings are on the other end of the spectrum, kind of, from what Tova does. I mean, there's, there's many ways it comes together, but it's kind of on the other end as far as, like, medical training and PhDs and things like that. What I work is based on four or 5,000-year-old teachings from East Asia. The Hindus, the Buddhists, the Taoists, um, there's something, there's a practice, a discipline out there called Tantra. And just like only about 6% of of surrogacy work is sexual, only about 3% of Tantra is sexual. However, here in, in you know, wonderful United States, where everything is perverted, all you hear about is the sexual end of it. You have rock stars going on TV talking about having four-hour orgasms and things of that nature. So all you hear about is the sexual end of it. The sexual end of it is the aspect that I use as far as the raising, building of sexual energy, and then cleaning out damages from past traumas in the energy field. Right. I just did a show about, I think it was about four to six weeks ago, and we were talking about how sexual energy actually impacts every aspect of your life. You know, and we had so much fun delving into, and especially the creative side, you know, yes. and that's that's one of the parts that I just love because it just, it, people, you know, we, we were trying to erase the myth people assuming that sexual energy only affects you in the bedroom or sexually. And uh-huh. It's like, no, you know, it impacts every aspect of your life. Right. And it just, it, it, I just, I love the topic. <laughs> just do. It was just, it was great. And, and from a, a repressed sexuality standpoint, I mentioned the abuse standpoint from a repressed right. sexuality. If you're not living and expressing who you truly are inside your, your sensual nature, your, your um, ability to provide and also receive pleasure, then you're not fully expressing who you are. Our sex center in our body, um, if you know what the chakra system is, if you've taken yoga, you understand what chakras are, um, it resides in our second chakra, our our sacral chakra. And that's like our creative center, because that's where the creative reproductive organs are. But it's creative in what you're creating in this world, in your life, what you're bringing to you as far as your your career, your relationships, everything. So it affects on so many different levels. Very true. Awesome. All right. Do you have any comments? Go ahead. Yeah. Actually, I'd like to add that um, Paul, in the modern uh, surrogate training, there actually is a Surprising amount of care of overlap between a tantra and surrogate partner practices, whether intentional or unintentional. Um, certainly, some of the techniques that are used in service to deal with premature ejaculation and erect dysfunction, we can see the um, 
that the the heritage of that going back uh, to the Tantra and even uh, more uh, prim, uh, primitive societies of, um, of sex. So, um, I always have incorporated breath work, a lot of breath work and meditation. Um, and actually, um, I've always be constructed in different ways. And also the use of sexual energy, um, I might use it differently, but certainly not recognize the role of uh, sexual energy on the purely cellular and energetic level. So this is a carryover very nicely. Fabulous. I love that. Oh, see how nicely these guests work together? I love this. <laughs> and that's actually training that I would like to have. Mm-hmm. Duh. And uh, you see? see, and, and <laughs> I'd actually like to clarify one other thing for our listeners here. When we talk about orgasm, Orgasm for a male is not necessarily ejaculation. Uh, uh, I love the topic. Yes, please go into this, Paul. I, I believe the Merriam-Webster definition of orgasm is spontaneous uh, muscle contractions due to sexual stimulation or something along those lines. We as men are actually capable of almost all the same types of orgasms as women. We're capable of full-body orgasms. We're capable of energy orgasms, which is a totally another subject altogether. But we're, we're capable of blend, blended orgasms. It's an amazing thing that most men don't even realize. They just think orgasm is, you know, ejaculation through the penis, and that's it. They have no idea of what they're fully capable of feeling and the pleasure that can be created in their body. And that's one of the things that I teach. Very cool. All right. Now, Tova, one of the things that I've, I've learned so much about with, with you and, you know, with, with helping you with, with publishing the books is Sensate Focus. Okay, now, now, that, now that Paul touched on a topic that I, I really like for people to understand better with the fact that men can separate orgasm and ejaculation, that kind of took me over to something that I want Tova to dig into more, and I'm sure Paul's going to have something to say about it, too. I want to dig into the topic of sensate focus, and this is something that I really didn't understand much of anything about until I started working with Tova. So, Tova, let's talk about what is sensate focus, and that's going to take us into a whole lot more information. Sensate focus is a way, it is an approach to touching the body that enhances sensation for the receiving partner and also the giving partner. So in every, uh, well, in every partnered touch experience, there's the giver and the receiver. In partnered uh, uh, sex, then you have the giver and the receiver. And sensate focus is literally a focus on sensation. It's about if I touch your hand, what do you notice? Do you notice sensation um, diff varying depending upon what part of the hand is touched? Uh, does the touch feel ticklish? Does it feel sensual? Uh, would my hands, are my hands warm or smooth or soft? 
So it's really a tuning into what happens during the touching process. This is not an intellectual process. It is purely experiential, but there are kind of guidelines around it. Um, so Sensate Focus is used in initially in what is called a hand caress, uh, which where, where two partners, the surrogate and the client, are touching hands um, and really ex exploring what is this experience not like. Not what do I think it's going to be like, like, oh, no, not touching hands. Boy, that's going to be really boring. That's a judgment made in the intellect, and that's the kind of judgment that holds us back from a broader range of experience. So we say, put aside your judgment. Maybe you're thinking the hand caress doesn't sound too in in interesting. But sensei focus is about being in the moment. So what do you feel in the moment? Not what is your judgment in advance. Uh, so it really takes the person on a very profound journey of uh, self-exploration. And the sensei focus is used throughout the process and certainly goes through intimate touching as well. So that the focus isn't on, oh, I must have an erection, oh, I must have an orgasm, or I must do something. Sex is about being, it's not about doing. So it is the experience of being sort of at one with the body and, and accepting, uh, giving oneself permission to be sexual. Very true. Well, in, in feeling, how, how often do people have sexual experiences, but they don't just slow down and take the time to feel what's happening? You know, feel the parts of your body. You know, don't just do it, feel it as you're doing it. You know, and, and how awesome is it in, when, when you're having sex to actually watch your partner's face and their expressions as they're feeling what's happening? Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. just, it is. Just like, uh, Absolutely. Where I, where I was just talking about men and, of course, orgasms and ejaculations, one of the biggest things around that is because, as men, we are very goal-oriented. We're in there, you know, to get the job done, basically, which is, is a shame because you're not there for the journey. So the, 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 to allow this type of thing, it, it really just comes down to that one word, allowing allowing your body to feel what it can naturally and normally feel, allowing your your nerves to do their thing, their job, and let you feel this pleasure, these sensations. I take some of my clients on meditations where during the meditation, I say take your clothes off and climb into this cold stream. How does this cold stream, you know, affect your skin? Do you feel goosebumps? Do you feel shivers? You know, are your nipples getting erect? What are the sensations that go along with that? Another thing, it's, it's just about being present as, as a couple. This, the sad part is, in today's society, women still fake orgasms. And it's done for many different reasons. The partner doesn't know what he's doing, you know, things of that nature. But it's, and I hate to come down on men, but we're dumb. Um, <laughs> but we're very easily trained. If you make us think we're doing something right, then we're going to keep doing it over and over again because we don't know we're doing something wrong. We're happy to find out that there are other ways to, to please, you know, beyond what we think is right. And I teach them how to, like, read signs in a woman. Is she getting goosebumps? You know, watch her breath. How is she breathing? Is she starting to pant? Is she taking deeper breaths? 
things along that nature. It's all about being present and allowing. And I can see where sensate focus would be amazing teaching. All right, and but Paul, sorry, can can I just interject there quickly? Go ahead. Um, sure. Paul, isn't it up to a woman to tell the man what she enjoys and what she doesn't? Yes, actually, it is. To to a large extent, it is. Mm-hmm. But to, uh, also to a large extent, the woman may not actually know what she enjoys, depending on her partners and what she's been taught. So it's about taking taking the time to actually explore and see what does feel good to both to both partners. Okay. To see where it leads. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's also about taking responsibility for one's own sexuality. Yes. Yes. Um, I. I Yes, I agree. I know, George, where your question was going. And I do agree that not only, Paul, are men dumb, but women are pretty dumb, too. Right. And exactly. when, when you think of the male sexual apparatus, it's out there looking at you. It's all, you know, there was an old slogan for cigarettes, Winston cigarettes. And the slogan was, it's what's up front that counts. <laughs> so we all, we all interpreted that as meaning that we had to have big breasts because, you know, it's all up front, what's up front that counts. Um, but with men, it's all up front. It's out there. Mm-hmm. Men, a women's sexual apparatus is internal, it's hidden, it's dark, it's mysterious. you got to really go exploring. It's not going to come right out and jump at you. So for the same reasons that men, many men are skittish about women's sexuality, many women are, are skittish and uncomfortable about their own sexuality and really haven't given themselves permission and taken the time to explore their own bodies and see what feels good uh, to them. Because, it, it, you know, Paul, I'm, I know that you know that orgasm is just so um, individual. It's so... Oh, yeah. uh, you know, it's so different, um, and there is no one one way or, or one standard uh, that anyone needs to meet. There are no there are no shoulds or shouldn'ts. It's just what do you feel in that moment? Right. It's slowing down to be in your breath and in your body. And everyone is different, and just because something works at one time doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be the same every time. So it should always be treated as a new experience. Well, to see those exactly. those are all things those are all things I talk about on the show often, and encourage women to get to know their own bodies because if you don't know what you like, you can't tell your partner what you like. You can't convey that to him. You know, and and he doesn't know what you like. He doesn't right. know what you're feeling. If he's touching your body, he doesn't know if it feels good. He doesn't know if, if you're if you're not telling him it feels good and you aren't, you know, if you're not sighing and panting and going, oh, God, that feels good. He doesn't know, you know, so you've got to tell him. And the thing is, if you haven't explored your body yourself and you don't know what you enjoy, he sure as hell doesn't know what you don't like. So you've got to take the time. And the thing is. It's enjoyable to get to know your own body, and it's empowering to know your own body. You know, yes. to know what you like, to know what feels good for you. And I, I understand. I understand that most of us were raised to think it's bad to touch your own body and to give yourself pleasure. I get this, and I've I've often joked that I, I did a show and said it's not a bad thing and it's not a sin to touch your body. And lightning did not strike me, and I am still here 
Okay, I I am. So I'm, I'm just that's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know? So, but like I said, if if you like, don't know what you like, your partner doesn't know what you like, and you do. And just like Paul said, great point. Just because you like something today doesn't mean you're gonna like the exact same thing tomorrow. So get to know your own body, and then and then get to the point where you can you can communicate to your partner what you like. And don't don't feel bad about sighing and moaning and and letting your partner know it feels good. He's going to enjoy that you moan and tell him it feels good. It's mm. going to turn him on. Be expressive. Yes. Yes. You know, we actually we've actually as humans have forgotten how to breathe. We only take in about a third of our lung capacity. When you breathe deeper, you allow more oxygen to your cells. So you you allow for greater sensation. You allow for more stimulation and even making sounds on the exhale nobody wants to do it because they think they sound stupid or it's rude or something but when you like uh, when you do that you're sending vibrations throughout your body that help stimulate you and create more stimulation well in, in the mentality well when I get a partner they'll figure me out is incredibly limiting and you are not empowering yourself in any way whatsoever if that's your mentality no and if I could go back to something we were just talking about a second ago, where sure. we said that the male is all you know up front and out there, that's not 100% true. The prostate is an incredible source of pleasure for men that has, that has tons of stigma attached to it. So most men are afraid to go there, and they don't realize what is actually lying beneath the surface and how much pleasure they can get out of it. That's true. They don't know what's behind them, do they, Paul? <laughs> I stand corrected. Men are dark and mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't know, George. We're, we're reverting back to John's show now. <laughs> it sounds like it, Nikki. Go ahead, Toba. I'd like to throw in something about Sensate Focus that's actually part of Sensate Focus, which I think is important. And, and And that's in the process of giving and receiving the touch, one thing that, that surrogates teach, and, or really I would think any competent um, sex education professional, and, and that's, I, say, I use that term very broadly, the setting of limits with a partner. And so before right. any sense focus session begins, there's a conversation between the surrogate and the client, or read the man and the woman, um, as to what are the boundaries of that touching experience. So they might decide, well, we're going to sit on a sofa together. We're going to both sit on different chairs to, uh, separately. Uh, we're going to allocate 15 minutes for giving and 15 minutes for receiving. Uh, this is going to be a non-sexual touch, so there'll be no touching of breasts or genitals. So the the playbook is articulated before every touching experience so that there's clarity for people. And if a, a particular exercise, a non-sexual exercise, is being conducted and the client takes it in a sexual way, that needs to be looked at because that's really... Um, a violation of the guidelines and the limits and the boundaries that were set for that experience. And it's very, it's very interesting when a client 
chooses not to honor the um, the boundaries that were initially established, there's usually some reason for this, a psychological reason. Um, so, so limits and uh, bring up a whole array of personal behavior and personal conduct and uh, the way in which we interact with another person. Awesome. And that leads to an interesting question I want to ask Paul about. Now, Hello. As, Hello, Paul. Okay. Now, as a man in the, in your field, tell me or tell us how mm-hmm. you feel about ethics and boundaries, because this is something you've been very involved with in your work. Yes. Um, actually, about six years ago, I penned something called Tantra Vikings Code of Ethics for uh, Sexual Energy Workers. And this is how it came about, is being a man in this, this line of work, there's a huge stigma around it that I must be out there trying to get something for myself. I must be you know, trying to have sex with my clients or I'm going to take advantage of them or something. And sadly, there are a lot of male practitioners out there that that is what they do. They wait till their clients are in a very, very vulnerable and very, very semi-euphoric state and kind of change things up on them. And, and they take the focus away from what they... The client believes is supposed to be the session, and they move it to something different that the client didn't want. And they end up walking out the door, and they say, all right, what the hell just happened? I didn't want any of that, and suddenly they feel violated. Mm-hmm. I have had a lot of clients over the years who came from that background, who have gone to other men and had that experience. So it was intensely important for me to lay it out there that, number one, I am not that type of a practitioner, that I am here so you can actually get the help that you need that is not about me, but also to teach others that, you know, this is the way you should be running your practice if this is what it is you choose to do. Now, again, a lot of my clients have come from a background of sexual abuse, and 99 times out of 100, it's a male that caused this <clears throat> this trauma. So for them to come to me to open up this this to be this vulnerable on um, can't talk to be this vulnerable <laughs> and to be on such an intimate level takes a tremendous amount of courage for them to get through the door to begin with mm-hmm. to start opening up to me. Um, so I did. I wrote this code of ethics, and this code of ethics has been taken, and it's been used as a base model for other governing organizations and also a lot of um, practitioners that I know they've taken mine and altered it just a little bit to to suit their practice but they've taken the same basis of it and they've used it so I'm actually considered a, a an authority on sexual ethics for energy workers this goes along with the boundaries it is tremendously important in any type of work that surrounds abuse to keep boundaries because you do not want to re-traumatize this person they're coming to you for help you know the last thing you want to do is is hurt them more so boundaries need to be in place i mean personally i know of at least probably 70 percent of the people who do what i do get undressed they feel it it adds to the to the environment or it adds to the experience i don't believe that it's not about me it's about the person on the table um, I lay it out beforehand and I tell my clients that, you know, if anything doesn't feel comfortable, if anything feels weird, if at any moment you're thinking, what did I get myself into, don't just for the sake of going through with it, go go through with it. Say something. And right. immediately, immediately my hands come off and we'll discuss whatever's going on. If it's something we can work through, 
then fine, we'll work through it and continue. If it's something we can't work through, then the session ends right there. It, it's done. I'm not ever going to push somebody to a place they don't want to go. Um, and I also reserve the right to end a session or to stop seeing a client at any time when transference comes into play. And they start having feelings for me that it's no longer going to be therapeutic for them to be with me. Right. Okay. Yeah, right. So Paul, ethics and boundaries hugely yeah. important. All right. Paul and Tova, I'm going to ask you a question here and you can answer either one of you. What signs should a patient look for uh, for these dodgy type of uh, so-called professionals out there who are giving advice? Well, this is, this is a huge field, and unfortunately the field of sex therapy and related fields um, are, are really rife with um, a sort of illegitimate practitioners. Um, I can say certainly just starting with the field of uh, uh, surrogate partner therapy um, that uh, there are uh, very uh, strict uh, ethics in terms of, of uh, the way surrogates um, uh, work, uh, the way they move ahead in the work, um, in terms of not dating clients, uh, not seeing clients outside of the session appointment, uh, also recognizing transference when a client is too involved in the surrogate. But then again, the therapist is monitoring that because this mm -hmm. is a three-way process. Um, in Paul's case, it's a dyad. It's a two-way process. It's the practitioner and the client. But with surrogacy, it's always the therapist, the mm -hmm. surrogate, and the client. Yeah. I'm so not sure if I answered your question. And just to add to that, because, like she said, mine is a dyad, all the responsibility falls on my shoulders as the practitioner. Okay. Okay. Well, what, what sort of way could a person check out the validity of, like, the credentials of somebody before they start to see them? Oh, I didn't answer the question. Um, <laughs> in, in terms of surrogate partners. Therapy. There is an organization called IPSA, I-P-S-A, which is the International Professional Surrogates Association. It is a certified a certifying body for surrogates and training body. There is also the um, Institute for Mind Body Therapy, of which I was one of the founders, which is based out of San Antonio, Texas, USA. Uh, and the Institute is also a training and accrediting uh, body. So for surrogate partners, it's very important to look up their training. Training and certification is extremely important. In terms of sex therapists, a, cli a client, an individual should be on the lookout. Therapist is making inappropriate uh, moves toward them. Uh, in, in, engaging in inappropriate uh, language where the language was not approved of, uh, taking things to a very personal level where the therapist starts talking about their problems or, or uh, becomes seductive toward the client. If you're feeling uncomfortable, there's a reason you're feeling uncomfortable and it's important to say something. Uh, there are many very ethical sex professionals and energy healers and body, uh, body 
but clients, individuals really do need to be on the lookout and trust their gut. And for a therapist, their training, where they went to school, where, how they were certified, and if there are any um, uh, sort of black marks on their record that can be looked up. Okay. Interesting. Does that answer the question, George? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I interpret for George sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I awesome. add a, a little bit? Yeah, sure. Certainly. Go ahead, Paul. All right. From from the tantric end of it, I mentioned tantra earlier. A lot of people don't, do go the route of um, seeking out tantra to educate themselves about their bodies and sexuality and what their bodies are capable of and even healing. Now, I hold no national certifications in anything. I basically carved out my own little niche in the world with what I do. But, um, you know, you can Google search me and you can find out exactly who I am, my, my codes of ethics and everything like that. But you do have to be tremendously careful if you're seeking out some type of alternative therapy, not something that's certified and licensed and everything like that, like Tova. I mean, but... If, if you're searching for something alternative, it becomes a whole lot more difficult to navigate and to find somebody who is reputable. Mm-hmm. And you just need to be very, very careful. Do your research. You know, don't just go to one little directory, find a name, and say, okay, I'm going to go with that. Search right. endlessly till you, you do feel comfortable that this is somebody you can work with or you want them to work with you in, again, a very vulnerable, a very intimate way. Mm-hmm. And, and exactly what Tova said, if it, you know, pay attention to what your body is telling you. If, it, if it's telling you this isn't right, then listen to it. Your, your gut is your big brother, and it's, it's going to look out for it. Very true. Yeah. All right. So, so Paul, why, why did you choose this profession? Why did you get into this kind of work? Uh, lots of different reasons. Um, I grew up an only child to... An abusive father who abused my mother in front of me. Um, so that led to, you know, my wanting to help women. But as I said, I'm also a little bit different. I started study- studying sexuality at age 16. And, and women had always kind of, for some reason, been attracted to me as a brother, a confidant, a protector, things of that nature. So it was always natural for me to help women and I've always had an interest around sex. It just seemed like a very fun thing to do. So well, yeah. <laughs> so, so I studied and studied and studied and I never really actually knew why I was like this or why I was doing this until I had a spiritual awakening about twelve, almost thirteen years ago now, where I was actually going to massage school. So I already had the background of the um anatomy and physiology and the sex and intimacy coaching but this brought body work into it through the massage and then i had the spiritual awakening and this brought the the um spirituality and energy portion of it into it so i started to understand the whole thing and it was actually kind of amazing seeing that the show is coming from south africa it was a psychic clairvoyant in south africa who i was telling my story to via the internet and she's like stop right there I believe I know why you're here. And I'm like, well, please tell me because I don't have a clue. It's driving me crazy. And um, she said, I believe you're here to help women feel better about themselves. 
And with that one simple sentence, it was like I got cracked in the face with a bat. All of a sudden, the air was crisper and clearer. I could feel my connection to trees, animals, people, everything. So it, it all came together for me at that point. And that's what got me also starting to work with my clients on a holistic level of body, mind, and soul. I My personal belief is that that approach, the body, mind, and soul, helps bring about results much more quickly than working on something just emotional or working on something just spiritual. You know, when you bring them all together at once, it clears things on many, many levels, and it becomes empowering. It becomes confidence-building. And, and yeah, that's kind of why I've done it. Okay, interesting awesome. one. Hmm. Are you noticing an interesting trend that so much of what you're doing with Tantra and so much of what Tova's doing and we're talking about with surrogacy is people think it's so much about sex and it's not. Oh, I mean, it, it's <laughs> sex is the label that's put on it, but I mean, it's all naturally inherent to us. It's all just a huge part of us. And well, it's, people put the sex label on it so they can shame people about it, but it's just there's the wrong about it, you know? Right, and sadly, that's brought so much of a stigma around any type of work on sexuality. Something wrong with you if you're seeking out a sex therapist. It's like, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I just want a better life, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, and, and you, and, you and I have talked about that because we did an entire show about, you know, about people and, and being repressed and, and trying to move past that. You know, and, and I, told him, uh, I told you that I wanted to do a show about that because so many people are dealing with that in their their life and they think they just that they just have to be stuck there that they have no choice that's just you know it's quote unquote normal part of life and it just it doesn't have to be you know and i mean i dealt with that for decades and thought i I had no choice i remember when i told my mother what it was that i was actually doing for a profession and she's like you're (laughs) teaching you're teaching what i said sex mom i'm teaching people how to have better sex she's like oh sex that's easy now my mother was born in 1929. She lived a very, she was 100% Italian. She was the youngest of three daughters. The, the first two got married, moved away. She stayed home to help the family. And she also grew up 100% Catholic. She lived a very sexually repressed life. So, right. you know, that mentality was still out there. Sadly, right. it's still there now. I mean, my mother's, my mother's dead. Again, she was born in 29. But, yeah. That, that mentality is still out there, depending upon your background and what what you've been exposed to. Well, that's like that's like friends of my dad. My dad is horrified that I'm a love coach. He has no clue what it is, but he's horrified by the thought of it, right? What, whatever it may be. And, and his friends are all like, oh, she's a sex coach, you know, and, and they pretty much say it with, with that tone. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because my, my mom didn't really – I was just starting my training when right before mom died. Yeah. And, and she – it was so it was so neat. She says she says, I don't I don't know what is, is going on. She says, I don't know what's causing it. She says, but but you look so much happier and whatever you're doing, keep doing it. She says, I, I really don't get it. She says, I don't I don't know what you're doing, but but it, it's working for you. You know, I hope you enjoyed a uh, look back at one of my absolute favorite shows that I did on Fame Music Radio with George. And two of my favorite guests, I was only able to bring you excerpts because the show was originally over two hours long, but I tried to pick out some of the absolute best parts of the show and two awesome, awesome topics that worked great together 
and two great people that are friends of mine and great guests that, that had so much awesome information to share. So I hope you enjoyed the show, and I'll see you next time on Ready for Love Radio.